This is Richard Chamberlain. And I'm Jeff Owens of the Classic Horrors Club podcast. We want to welcome you to the Time Shifters podcast. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. Your hosts, Christopher and Matt, would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with them. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook. Follow the two on Twitter. Christopher is at Time Shifters Pod, and Matt is at Movies at the Mat. Or you can send them a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. Now, from the Time Shifters studio, here are Christopher and Matt. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Matt. Yeah. Remember, you know how I always ask people to send us emails? Yeah, send them, but will we read them? (laughs) (laughs) Two different things. Yeah, we got uh, two emails that we actually had in my hands um, last time I recorded, and I did completely forget about them. So I wanted (laughs) to get those out of the way right now before I I forget them. Uh, Right off the bat, uh, we got one from uh, Pete Quint from the Good Beer Beer. Good Beer, Bad Movie Night podcast. Uh, he says, hi, guys. I'm not Floyd, but I'm concerned that we haven't heard from him in a while. I hope he's okay. He said, I just heard about a kaiju sighting in DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I wanted to know if the show was worth trudging through. Have you seen it? Thanks for the great show and see you at the Monster Bash. Yeah, he did announce he was going to be at the Monster Bash. You've watched more Legends of Tomorrow than I have. I've dipped my toe into it. I've gone through some of the first seasons, which I've actually have heard is, like, not the best. Right. So... And I've had some experience with, like, the crossover episodes that they did with Supergirl or whatever, which I enjoyed when I saw them. But you know more than I. Of all the DC TV shows on the CW, Legends of Tomorrow is by far the best one. And yet, it's the least watched one, the least reviewed one, the least talked about one. Without question, it is the best one. It is The first season is not good. It has mm-hmm. a couple... If you're going to watch the first season, because I'm the kind of person that if I'm watching a show, I have to watch every episode. I have to watch them in order. But the first season, watch it just to kind of understand how season two is set up. And even the actors have said, oh, season one is awful. Season one, they were forced to, like, follow a storyline and, you know, deal with a certain villain. And then season two came along and it was like, oh, we're not bound to anything anymore. And so the writers were like, great, we are going to do a sci-fi time travel comedy. And that is what it is. It is nice, okay. it is the comedy superhero show. It's hilarious. They have all of these wonderful in-jokes. Watch that show, and you will understand why everyone is obsessed with Bebo. 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 <laughs> okay. In Bebo, we trust. <laughs> okay. At last year's Comic-Con... When they were, you know, announcing like, you know, the, not announcing, but, you know, showing the posters for the new upcoming uh, shows. You know, there there's Arrow and there's Oliver Queen dressed in the Arrow suit and there's Supergirl dressed in the Supergirl sh- suit. And there's the Flash dressed in the Flash suit. And there for Legends of Tomorrow is Bebo. All right. So I definitely have to look into that because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Bebo shows up in season three and it's a wonderful thing. All right. And so fans the- are obsessed with Bebo and I'm one of them. <laughs> There's a, an Instagram account called Bebo Travels, and somebody has a Bebo doll and all the different places around the world they go to. Nice. All right. Well, there you go. So there's your endorsement for Legends of Tomorrow. Yes. So, yeah, it might be worth, you know, like you said, skip season one if, you, if you're if you not a completist. <laughs> and yeah. Jump in. And see, the finale to season two has a shot that is the most comic book looking shot I have ever seen on film. Ever. 
Oh, okay. Because they're dealing with the reverse Flash, and not to spoil too much, but there's a part where he pulls out all of his the versions of himself from history. So you see dozens of him on a battlefield. Some in his suit, some not in his suit. It's just all different versions of him ready to face down the legends. And I'm like, I've seen this drawn before. <laughs> nice. All right, well, there you go. Well, here's an answer to one of your questions. We got an email from Floyd. Woohoo! It, it was kind of funny. I got the one from Pete, and it was literally like the next day I got an email from Floyd. Like he <laughs> knew it was happening. It says, hey, it's been a while since I've written in. I've been listening to L. Ron Hubbard's classic Battlefield Earth. The John Travolta debacle was bad enough, but when compared to the novel, it's even worse. <laughs> Not hmm. sure how Travolta could take a book he supposedly loved and butcher it like that. Now, he's talking about uh, Hero at Large. It says, in the podcast, Chris had mentioned having a Loki holiday, or Loki. He actually spells it L-O-K-I, <laughs> parentheses Loki. Well, I had kind of a Thor holiday. I was so busy and around, I overdid it and felt a little Thor. <laughs> You're lucky I even read that, Floyd. <laughs> says, I wanted to comment on what you guys said about the ending of Independence Day. I think this is a piggyback on our, uh, we were talking about films that made us mad. Yeah. And then uh, I think Rod Barnett is the one that mm -hmm. was mentioning Independence Day. So I didn't think the ending was creative at all. It was lazy. I felt the writers had no clue how humans could defeat these aliens, so they came up with that lame computer virus ending. When I first saw the film and that solution was proposed, I thought, you have got to be kidding me. However, I loved it when... Uh, Secretary of Defense said, this is ridiculous. You want us to coordinate a massive worldwide counterstrike with a window of only a few minutes? And then he calls it a cockamamie plan. But then General Gray says it could work. And it was if everyone was thinking, well, the general says it could work. I know it's just a film, but the ending will always irritate me. Now on to Hero at Large. I have got to see this movie. I was aware of the film, but never even gave it a thought at all. Wow. It sounds fun. So thanks to your great discussion, I'll have to watch it. Keep up the great work. He hasn't seen it? So he That's hasn't surprising. Seen it. Yeah. So uh, Floyd, definitely, after you've watched it, definitely write back and let us know what you thought. If you agree, disagree, or have anything else to add, that'd be fun. Yeah. The problem with Independence Day is the fact that not, not that like, oh, we only have a few minutes and we're going to have to try to blow them up within those few minutes. It's that... You can't develop a computer virus on our computer systems that will infect their computer systems. Like, right now, you can't develop a computer virus on Windows to affect Mac. Like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So forget a technology you've never seen before. Yeah, it is definitely a... Um, and I think that was just... I don't know what computer or what technological like orientated movie around that time didn't end with someone hammering out on a keyboard... Right. It's, I think, a product, a product of its time, I'm mm -hmm. afraid. And that kind of stuff still happens today. I mean, yes. you've watched any kind of drama television There's or movies. There's a backdoor movies. password. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just people slamming their fingers on keyboards and, I'm in! Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Izzard has a wonderful bit about that. Go look up, uh, I think it's like Eddie Izzard, End of the World, about computers. And he's just sort of like, all right, let's see. Breaking into the Pentagon, billions of options, let's see. Jeff. Hey, it worked. <laughs> How did you know? Well, I knew there was a back door and there was a guy who invented this system. His name was Jeff, Jeff D. Jeff. <laughs> I think the, some of the worst I've seen is I forget which show it was, but there was someone and they were trying to hack in and suddenly they're like, someone was like fighting back. And so someone else joins on the same keyboard. So they're all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. 
Yes, it's it's like a piano. <laughs> yeah, the foot-long keyboard. <laughs> well, anyway, we should get on to some uh, news. I wanted to get those emails out of the way since we kind of kind of kind of forgot them. Oops. So I I promise I'll I'm going to try to do better if you write us. We'll we'll try to get your emails in at a more uh, reasonable time. I'll start checking. <laughs> so news, unfortunately, I think we need to start. I've got a few Unfortunately, uh, we've lost a couple more, uh, a few more uh, great actors. Uh, just I'll go sort of alphabetical. Uh, Julie Adams uh, passed away. She was 92 years old. She starred alongside people like Rock Hudson, Tony Curtis, Elvis Presley. Um, but she was probably most well-known for the 1954 Creature of the Black Lagoon, who, of course, she was the, uh, the focus of the Gilman's affections in that film. I never got a chance to meet her. She was pretty active on the convention circuits, and from all accounts, from everyone I've talked to and everything I've read, she was incredibly generous and just pleased that all these people would come out and see her. And, you know, because a lot of them, they saw her in a lot of films, but it was Creature that really brought her to the, brought them to the conventions to meet her. And she was just always very friendly and and pleasant to be around. So uh, I know a lot of people really, you know, this hit hit them hard, you know. Uh, so definitely a uh, fantastic actress, and she'll be missed. Albert Finney has passed away at the age of 82. Uh, he was one, you know, it's kind of one of those things I didn't realize how much I've seen him in yeah. until I went through his filmography. Same. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, he was in that, and he was in that. The, he was, in a lot of reports, uh, described as a chameleon actor because mm-hmm. he would just, just whatever role he had, he would just sort of, show up you don't even it just it doesn't hit you that it's him yeah yeah that happened to me because when it was announced that he died i started looking through i was like he was daddy warbucks in yeah. Annie? <laughs> exactly this whole time i didn't know that and uh, just recently he would they said oh and he was in skyfall i'm like skyfall yeah. what was he in skyfall and then they i see a photo like oh he was the groundskeeper uh. the old bond estate or whatever they're they're the family home i'm like all right yep no idea uh-huh <laughs> Uh, tremendous, just lots of different roles. Interesting man, kind of avoided the limelight outside of actually working. You know, he would do the roles, but then really didn't want to have anything to do with anything that went along with that. Um, he was nominated for five Oscars, never won, and never actually attended the ceremony. You probably figured, like, I'm not going to win. <laughs> well, it, there was a, a quote I saw, uh, I think it came from the Telegraph. It said it was a a long way for him to go to a non eating, non drinking event, that, and in hopes that they, in, in the hope that they might call your name. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like, I screw it. He was really not into the whole pomp and circumstance of everything. Allegedly, he turned down a knighthood because he's just like, wow. Yeah, he just said, no, like, thank you. Yeah, it was. It was your highness. <laughs> he apparently he didn't like the idea. He felt it just sort of perpetuated the snobbery. Wow. And so he's just like, I'm, I'm not into that. Good for him. So yeah, just a real interesting, uh, the, reading about him more, it's kind of like, oh yeah, he did a lot of great films and everything. And then uh, a lot of people will say too that he was the kind of actor that even if he was really just doing it to get a paycheck, he still gave 100%. Sure. You know, he never looked and like he was phoning it in. You could see that because mm-hmm. there's a, a ton of things when I was looking through. It's like, oh yeah, he was in that. And I was like, wow, like he he's on the screen for like a minute and a half and he cared. He, he <laughs> yeah. delivered his lines well. He wasn't just sort of like, and then yeah. walked away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it ended up being, I was 
found them more interesting outside or off the camera than yeah. on the, actually on the camera in some cases. Now, the last one I have here, and this one was probably the one that hit me the hardest, was uh, Dick Miller passed away at the age of 90. And this guy has been in everything. Everything. His career started in the 1950s. He started working with Roger Corman. Uh, the story is he went to Roger, went to Hollywood to try to be a writer, went to Roger Corman and tried to sell him some scripts. And Corman says, I've got all the scripts I need. I need actors. And he said, well, then I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> and he needed to work. And so Roger would put him in a couple roles and then eventually he gave him like a starring role in what has become a kind of a cult classic called Bucket of Blood, which is a fun, a great film that I strongly recommend people check out. And uh, and then he just always worked from that point forward. And I watched a documentary. There's a documentary, I think you can still find it on Amazon, called That Guy Dick Miller. And he, I'm pretty sure he said that he never really auditioned for anything. I can see that. He just, the work just found him. People yeah. would just, you know, it was a lot of word of mouth. You know, yeah. one director to another. Oh, you need some people? Uh, here, call this guy. He, right. he, you know, he's he's good. You need somebody to play a janitor with a few lines? Somebody yeah. A mechanic with a few lines? Exactly. And that's what Dick Get Miller Dick did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe Dante did his first film for Roger Corman and worked with Dick Miller and found him to be just a fantastic person to be around. Loved the collaboration and everything. And then he was in every Joe Dante film <laughs> after that. He would write roles and just kind of mark him as, this is Dick Miller's part. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was, he became, and that's how I always know him, as that guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's the kind of person, the actor that shows up. And you go, oh, it's that guy. And everyone, I think, has like their that guy moment. Mm -hmm. They're a different film. And a lot of people, it's that guy from Gremlins. Yep. <laughs> he was the uh, snowplow driver in Gremlins. Mm -hmm. That was a very big role for him. Uh, so, yeah, he was just, he's one of those guys you just kind of hope would just keep on going. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of unused film out there where he could Possibly. keep going. Possibly. Why does he look 30 years younger? Well, we didn't use this <laughs> right. back in the 80s. His whole life is just interesting, just the fact that he just, you know, he did this stuff. And it was just kind of like, it was just something he did. He never... I think he, he did some conventions. There's a few people that I know that actually caught him at a convention, got his picture, or did some video. And I got the impression the whole time he was he sat there wondering why he was even there. You mm -hmm. know, to, why are people coming to see me? And just some guy that does this job. <laughs> right. For him, they were individual jobs. But for everyone else, it's like you've been in dozens of movies I've seen, and I am obsessed with you now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple times where uh, over on the, uh, Orphaned Entertainment, we've watched a couple films where he shows up, and we both agreed that even though his role was very minor, it's kind of like he's the it best is. part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That comfort blanket of just sort of like, in there's yeah. Dick Miller. Yeah, it is a little bit of a comfort blanket. It's a great way to – it's like even though – whether you think this film's going to be good or not. Oh, well, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It could be like a drinking game. Dick Miller shows up, take a shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he was. Uh, he'd definitely be missed. I'm just glad that he was as prolific as he was, because I know there's probably dozens of films out there I haven't seen yet that I'm going to watch and go, ah, hey, it's that guy. Uh -huh. <laughs> but that's all the... Uh, all the uh, the death the deaths the sad news I suppose that we you know, just feel like we had to get through. So the news I have there were a lot of things that came up and then were instantly like debunked to the point where I was like sad that they got debunked. So the first was it was announced that 
Warner Brothers was going to make an animated Batman Beyond movie. Oh, in it been... response to Into the Spider Verse. Yeah, no, I saw that news. That was a great news. They You're telling me came out a few days later and said, "We don't know where that came from. Those pictures you saw, somebody made those up." Aww. I was kind of looking forward to that. And so was I. They were like, "Oh yeah, release date 2022." Nope. Not true, apparently. According to Warner Brothers, not true. My hope is maybe it'll kickstart something. Like, yeah, even, no kidding. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name. Will Friedle, who did the voice of Terry McGinnis on the show, he fell for it. Really? He retweeted it, and he was like, I hope there's a part for me. Yeah. <laughs> Here's and, my number, just in case. Right, Warner I retweeted him. I was like, if he's not in this movie, we riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, like, a day later. It's not true. Oh, I... I'm actually kind of really surprised that it's not true right. because with as popular as the Into the Spider Verse is, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the, the the DC animated films and everything, this just seemed like perfect. Yeah, yep. It was Same. kind of one of those like, uh, why hasn't it happened yet? Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. Like, oh yeah, that did well. I guess we'll get in on that. Like, no, it's not. No, it's, total bummer. Yeah, you definitely could. Def- Definitely, something like Batman Beyond, you could piggyback on something like Into the Spider-Verse, where you have all these versions of Spider-Man. Yeah. So now you have, you know, Batman Beyond, where now you have the, you know, the aging Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. and the new, you know, protege Batman. And then you could even do, if you want to do... you Robins come back. You could do flashback or something and incorporate all kinds of characters in this. Yeah. Yeah, it it surprises me that this is Stylize the hell out of it. Yep. Yeah, no. Batman Beyond was a show I didn't. I kind of gave short shrift when it first came out. It's and it, good. And then I actually, I don't know why. I just like, well, I'll start watching a little bit. And yeah, after like the third or fourth episode, I'm like, next episode, yeah. next episode. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, I tell you what, I think it was is what got me into it was the. Um, I think it was the finale of Justice League that tied into the mm. Batman Beyond. Or they used the Batman Beyond to be the finale for Justice yeah. League or something like that, and I was like. Wow, that's good. That's like uh-huh. one of the best half hours of television I've ever seen, and I think that's what got me to go back and watch a lot of the uh, the that actual the actual series. And then, yeah, there was also some really great stories in there. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is uh, Terry drags. The episode opens with this. He brings him to a Batman the musical. <laughs> Because at this point in Gotham, Batman is just this old legend. And like, so, but the best part is, is because Kevin Conroy is a trained singer. So is he? even though he's doing the part of old Bruce, he also sang the part of the guy playing Batman on stage. And so he's doing this whole song of like, they're a superstitious, cowardly lot. <laughs> and then Bruce looks over at Terry and goes, you hate me, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> And it's just great. That's funny. I haven't. I didn't get up to that episode. I yeah, didn't see keep that. going. It's I, hilarious. I have to get back into it again. And like they're leaving, they're leaving the the playhouse, and Terry's singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> or there's one episode where they deal with the Royal Flush Gang, and Terry unknowingly falls for the daughter in the gang, and she doesn't know that's Batman. He doesn't know that's that's Ten, and. Then he discovers who she is, and then you know he has to like bring her and her family to justice. And then he's seeing her get handcuffed away, and then he starts to walk away. And Bruce is there, and he's like, "You never told me about this part of it." And the episode's ending, and Bruce goes, "Let me tell you about a woman named Selena Kyle." Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's like this was so well written. Yeah, yeah, no, it was very. What I saw was very well written and very well acted. And again, you know, 
everyone, they always do that. Oh, who's the best Batman? It's like, it's Conroy. It's Conroy. You never see his face, but man, the, what he can convey, what he can project with that voice. Over years, and he, he has the yeah. young Bruce, he's got the middle-aged, kind of, you know, in his, like, late 30s, early 40s mm-hmm. Bruce, and then he's and, got old Bruce, and they're different. And they're he's got Batman. Different. Yes. And Batman's different from Bruce, Yes, you know? and then different ages of Batman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, by the time you get to old Bruce... It's pretty much like Batman because uh-huh. it's like I've, it doesn't matter anymore, kind of, yeah. you, you figure. But back in the old animated series, there was Bruce and there was Batman. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, that is the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> or in there, there was that Justice League one where, you know, old old Bruce has been sent to the past and there's younger Batman. And then younger Batman wants to interrogate someone and old Bruce is just sort of like, I can't believe I was ever that green. Here's how you interrogate someone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no Batman. No Batman really. Beyond, which is uh, sad. That, that is very sad. I hope it becomes something. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Warner Brothers looks at this like, is like, wow, people were really keen on this. Maybe it's something we should look at. Yeah. But for right now, they're saying that's not true. Yeah. And I hope it becomes true. Right. The other thing was, you know, there were all those rumors about, you know, would Henry Cavill show up in the Shazam movie? And apparently, when he was in talks for that cameo, that's when things broke down, and that he was going to be in it, that he wasn't going to be in it, and now they're saying Superman will be in it, but you won't see his face. Mm -hmm. And then there were also rumors coming out that the reason that talks broke down is because they were discussing that cameo while they were discussing the Man of Steel sequel, and apparently Henry Cavill demanded that he would only sign on if he had approval of the director and the writer. And then his side of things came out and said that that there's no truth to that whatsoever. He wants to be Superman, but they're not offering him anything. So there's all of this like back and forth. They still can't clean things up over there. Yeah. Okay. Then over at Disney, they have come out and said that they are open to making R-rated movies now that they are acquiring Fox. They are open to making an R-rated Deadpool. They are open to any of that because they understand these are successful and these are things that are kind of important to the fans of, you know, the blood, the gore, the violence, all of that, the language. They have not closed the door on continuing that. Interesting. And what would be more interesting is the fact that they would do it under the Disney label. Yeah. I mean, they have done that in the past, but they would make the little branch off studios yeah. to do that kind of thing. Um, I can't think of the name of the studio that they had for a while, but like – um Pretty Woman or someone like that is actually like a Disney film, but it was done under whatever studio that they had to do that kind of thing. But they're actually willing to do it and put that the the castle and the you know Tinkerbell (laughs) in the beginning. (laughs) Curious, yeah. Or I wonder if they'll keep. Well, no, they're just acquiring the. I don't know. I mean, it would just be under I guess Marvel. Yeah, because you don't see the the castle for the Marvel. Good point. So it would be that, but yeah. Everyone knows it's Disney. Right. But yeah, they would, they're open to it. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it shows that they're finally kind of growing a little bit mm-hmm. and, and seeing the, the trends and how where things are going and what people are looking for. Yeah, because Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool, to me, is the one thing that you can just bring right over and it's not a problem because mm-hmm. his character can just be like, oh, I'm in this studio now? Got it. <laughs> right. Yeah, it can, because you can actually play with that. We've talked yeah. about it before. We can definitely you know have him do a lot of break the fourth walls and and, right. and, and meta references and everything mm-hmm. to the fact yeah 
I could see his character walking around. He just like his first shot walks in with the big Mickey gloves. Like I'm here now. <laughs> He's got the whole Deadpool outfit, but then the ears. <laughs> yes, exactly. It opens with him on like Splash Mountain. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other bit of uh, Disney superhero news is Black Widow was supposed to start filming at the end of February, and they have delayed it now till June. Hmm. No specific reason why interesting yeah hmm. makes me nervous yeah a little that bit. that movie better not fall apart well maybe because they're gonna do an r-rated <laughs> it's possible because a lot of people would like to see an r-rated black widow movie i think that's one of their current characters that would work great for you know, yeah well, shots yeah 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 go for it yeah yeah it's a little interesting that it would be pushed back this early Mm-hmm. That they're already, they haven't even, they've barely got anything on paper, and now they're already saying, yeah, oh, let's hold off a little bit. Maybe or, it's a budget thing. Maybe they're trying to like trim back on the budget. Yeah. You, yeah. That's a good point, too. You know, I don't know when their fiscal year, sometimes the fiscal year ends around June, July. Yeah. You know, maybe they're like, well, let's not, let's, let's start out the year with that one. Not you that know? I would ever believe they are hard up for money. Like, well, yeah, that's true. Every year we make like $8 billion. Oh, no. When's our fiscal year switch? Maybe it's only for those penny pinching bastards. Tax reasons, maybe Something. in case it fails, they want right. to make sure they, they can it write it. <laughs> make sure it they can won't. write it off on the right year. W- uh, what's a failure at this point? With that, oh, it yeah. only made six hundred million dollars, right, yeah, on an eighty million dollar budget. Yeah, I think if you put that Marvel logo on the front, you're going to get your, you're going to get your money back, <laughs> right? You know, no so. question. And I I think that's my guess is At the that very least break even. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're trying to like trim down because you know if it's Black Widow, it's not you know it's not Doctor Strange with all the lights and everything. It's not Spider Man swinging around the city. You know, it's not Black Panther with all of his high tech. It's Black Widow. You could probably shoot half of that in a dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you can really save on the money, right? Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I hope it doesn't fall fall apart. It's a little that's a little disheartening this early in the. Other news is uh, for those who don't know, um, an initiative came out earlier this year. It was uh, found that the twelve hundred top grossing films between two thousand seven and two thousand eighteen, only four percent of them were directed by women, and so a push has started to challenge studios called the Four Percent Challenge to get more women to be directors. And so Universal has announced that they will accept that challenge, and they are the first major studio to do so, and they're challenging other studios to do so. I think this is great. I think it's a fantastic thing, and it's one of these things that it should be very easy to do. You can't tell me that there aren't women directors out there looking for their chance to work for the major studios. Uh, they have to be out there. And I've heard every argument that people try to make and none of them hold any weight, you know, just like, oh, you know, there aren't female directors. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, they want to give it to people who, you know, who have a track record. You hear all the time, like brand new rookie director being given the reins of next blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And it's a guy. Right. So stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we we've seen that. Many, many times before, and I know there's a lot of, there's got to be a lot of uh, female directors that are currently working in television or work doing commercial work or documentary work. I would love it if Michelle McLaren, who has directed some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad and um, uh, 
Game of Thrones, she would be amazing. She was in the running to direct Wonder Woman, and I don't know if the studio passed or if she passed, but she would be phenomenal on the big screen. Yeah. Get her involved. Yeah, well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see this shake out. I, I think they will achieve it. I think they will break their 4%, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully they can encourage other studios to, to follow suit. There's no reason it shouldn't be a, like a... 50 50 yeah you know, 4% is that's pathetic yeah yeah 50% is what you should be aiming for right yeah so uh yeah we'll see how it all shakes out last bit of news i have this is just happy news for me <laughs> okay oh right the show supernatural has been officially renewed for its 15th season <laughs> that's insane that's wonderful <laughs> That's got to be, as far as the uh, U.S. television shows, That's is it, is it already a record, I think? It's the record for the longest scripted genre show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't count the news programs or uh, yeah. uh, even soap operas, I think right. you can't. So, yeah. <laughs> like sci-fi, I think. Like sci-fi horror, like it's the longest right. scripted sci-fi kind of show. Yeah, it's because I think they, they've beaten uh, Stargate uh, SG-1's mm-hmm. record, because I think they had like 13 years, And even episode say. count, they've passed that. Yeah. So, you know, I think on the all-time episode list, I was looking like they're number 14 for mm. scripted shows. Simpsons just took the number one spot, and I threw a poll out on Twitter like, when do you want to see Supernatural to end? When they look as old as Bobby, who is like the 50-some-odd, 60-year-old hunter they meet in season one, um, when they pass the Simpsons, or never. And I didn't get many votes, but the majority went to when they pass Simpsons. And I was like, <laughs> I was all right, say, we're coming for you, Simpsons. Simpsons ends at like, you know, 600 and, and you Supernatural does 601. Right. <laughs> we're well, Sim- done. <laughs> Simpsons just got renewed for seasons 31 and 32. And I'm like, challenge accepted. We're coming. <laughs> Supernatural just had its 300th episode. I loved it. Made me cry. So good. I, I love this show. So glad it got renewed and gives us an excuse to keep going with our own podcast. I was going to say, it keeps you guys in business for a while. Yep. We're, we've barely cracked season one and we've got yeah, yeah, you're 14 nowhere, more to go. You're nowhere, nowhere even touching the where your namesake <laughs> comes from. Nope. So yeah, looking forward to it. Love this show. It's it it keeps going for a reason. Check it out. Yeah, there you go. Well, congratulations to everyone behind Supernatural. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it for the news. Okay, that we hit a lot. All right, we'll take a short break here, and when we get back, 1991's The Commitments. This is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. 
I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the uh, best fans. Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. Grits ain't groceries, eggs ain't poultry, and Mona Lisa was a man. All around the world, I'd rather be alright. I'd lie along my babies, stay with my woman till I die. All right, welcome back, folks. Yes, this was a film I brought to the table. This is one of my favorite movies. It really is. I discovered this film probably, let's see, it came out in 91, home video, 92, 93. It was probably, you know, had a VHS copy kind of thing. And it's been in, you know, my possession one way or another ever since. You know, I've got the Nile, I've got the, like, double disc DVDs, <laughs> 25th anniversary edition or something upstairs. Truly love this film. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I am kind of a sucker for these. It's almost a genre in itself, the sort of uh, aspirational, inspirational, somebody teaching somebody that they can grow and be better than what they thought they could be. You know, that that they're not a slave to their circumstance. I love those types of films. And this film is definitely falls in that category. Uh, it was uh, directed by Alan Parker. Uh, was written by screenplay was written by Roddy Doyle and a and uh, a few others uh, based on Roddy Doyle's novel by the same name. This was a first time watch for you. Mm-hmm. I knew I know it's maybe not the film for everybody, but I was uh, I was very curious to see what you would think of it. It's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I was entertained, but I kept wanting more. There was something for me that I was like, that's it? Hmm. Like, it credits rolled. And the thing is, I felt that it was too long, that there were parts you could cut. But when it ended, I was like, where's the punchline? Where's the payoff? Where's 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 the arc? Where's something? Like, and there were so many things that I loved about it. I like how it was shot. I like how it was cut. I loved this weird cast of characters. Mm-hmm. I loved the fact that, you know, they never really give you a, a, a strict sense of like how long, but I felt like they were only together for maybe like two months. Yeah. I was wondering about that too, because it's the, the rise and fall, just to give a little brief synopsis of the film for everybody. It takes place in uh, Dublin, Ireland, a, uh, a guy who's, always apparently had his kind of fingers in the music business, decides to put a band together. Well, his fingers in the music business in that he's selling bootleg <laughs> discs and or tapes and movies. Exactly. <laughs> That's his finger in the music business. Well, Jimmy Rabbit here decides that he's going to uh, put a band together and manage them. And, uh, you know, maybe come up with the next U2 or Sinead O'Connor or something. Yeah. And he decides that, you know, the rock and roll thing's been done, so he decides that this band is going to play soul music. Oh, I didn't like that part. Really? And that maybe is why this, that's, that's the thing. I All didn't right. like that part. 
So anyway, he collects the, you know, using friends and just having an auditions, and he collects this oddball group of, uh, of singers and musicians to be this band. And then the movie follows them learning to work together, you know, learning their, their craft, and eventually coming right to the cusp of being something really great. And you didn't like the soul music. You didn't like the music. See, it's the soundtrack not, it's for me... It's not that I didn't like the music. It's that I didn't like that it was cultural appropriation. Mm. That didn't... I get it. It's 1991. Nobody knew what that was then. But he even says, like, okay, like here he is looking at a bunch of pasty white Irish people, and he's telling them, go listen to... To Marvin Gaye, go listen to Aretha Franklin. And I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do this. Don't take from black culture and try to rebrand it as white. That is not a good thing to mm. do. Please don't do that at all. Uh, yeah, that was the part that I would just I cringed at. I was like, that's not aging well for me. <laughs> oh, interesting. See, I didn't, I, yeah, I'd never, um, Never saw it in that way. That's I can't not see it in that way in my twenty first century. Yeah, I didn't see them as trying mindset. to like steal anything. But that's to what make the music their... business has done forever. Yeah, I suppose steal from black culture, and that's he straight up, you know, is have, having them listen and watch from all of these great black musicians, and he's like, "We're going to bring it to Ireland," and I'm just sort of like, "That's not for you to do." That's what you got to measure up to, lads. Do you not think? Uh... Oh. Well, like, maybe we're a little white for that kind of thing. Do you not get it, lads? The Irish are the blacks of Europe, and Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland. And the Northside Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it once, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. I just kept shaking my head. I was like, no, you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. Mm-mm. Sorry. S- sit down and be quiet, Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I accepted it because, I mean, it was kind of what I would consider kind of working class music. It is working class music. And it was a, a, a very working class uh, neighborhood. And the people that, that were in the band were all yeah. you know, working class people. So I thought it was fine. It worked for it. Then come up with your own songs. <laughs> Do that. Well, maybe they would have if they, you know. <laughs> and that, that's the part I, I like, that, that, you know, we get this snapshot. We get this rise and fall before they are actually successful. There's no record contract. We don't mm-hmm. see them in the studio. We don't see them on a tour. They just do a few clubs, and then they disband. And I really like that, that idea of, like, that ha- has to happen thousands of times a year, if not hundreds of thousands of times a year mm-hmm. for people. Like, yeah, we've got a band. Like, there's that one line where somebody goes... Most bands don't survive past their first gig, and I'm like, oh, that's probably true. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and then that's where a lot of it comes in, and what you get in the end, and it, this is all, I, I guess, in the way spoiling. I don't think, I don't think you can really spoil this film. This isn't a film that can be spoiled. There's a, you know, you're either going to like this film or you're not going to like this film, whether you know the ending or not. Right. Um, but what you see, the little almost like a coda at the end, and everyone that even though this band didn't work it taught them that there's more to life than what they thought you know they're not going to be working in the mine they're not going to be you know scrubbing the streets or anything like that there's the you know the few people that went off and the one guy you know he does get his uh, a recording contract um the other guys uh you know she 
joins another, starts another band and, and singing like country western or something like that. The other guy becomes a jazz musician, you know. So they 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 learn about themselves and actually are able to grow and and there is some success, you know, yeah. if not for everybody, for you know some of the people. And so I I really appreciated that in the film. I think you know maybe there's cultural appropriation, but I think the overall lesson that this movie tries to convey, I think overrides that. Yeah. No, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. It was just that one part where I was just like, please don't do that. <laughs> so yeah, I, again, I, not a bad movie. I like, I should have loved it. There were so many elements and pieces. It just didn't all come together for me. Hmm. Like I said, like great cast shot well love the fact that they shot it in dublin because mm-hmm. a lot like you know i've said with new york you can't recreate new york you can't recreate dublin right you can't recreate the fact that it's always overcast there's always puddles everywhere it looks miserable and no one seems to notice because that's their life every day <laughs> just the, when he's like walking by that like flea market swap meet whatever's going mm-hmm. on and then he's like going to meet everybody there's just puddles everywhere like but it, they shot it in dublin because you can't recreate the grit of that city mm-hmm I loved that. And yeah, I, I love the fact that, you know, Jimmy's always like doing his own interviews with himself and <laughs> yeah. that, you know, he does a really good job of managing the band and, and giving them an angle and bringing the right people together. He does a terrible job of managing the individuals. Mm-hmm. He never even makes an attempt. There are only two scenes where like he had the opportunity to deal with that. One where he's going to see Bernie at her house Right. To kick her out of the band. Yeah. He sees what her life is like. He sees that she's the oldest child and that she's helping her mom and there's laundry everywhere and the kids are a mess. And and she she doesn't even say, like, I need this for the money. She says, I need this for hope. I mm-hmm. need this. I need something good. You can't kick me out. And that's it. And he right. agrees to leave her in. He doesn't work to help her. He doesn't, like, get any. But, like, later we see she's got her youngest brother with her that she's babysitting <laughs> at band practice. <laughs> And it's like, okay, he didn't do anything to help her out. He doesn't do anything to wrangle all the personalities. He's just, he keeps focusing on the band part. Mm-hmm. And then later when the drummer quits, he gets mad at the drummer, kicks his truck and says, get the hell out of here. Rather right. than say like, what can I do to make this work? To me, it's his fault that the band falls apart. Hmm. It's it, He brought it together and he ruined it by not helping anyone. But I don't know if the movie was aware of that fact. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I would blame it on Jim on uh, on Jimmy. I think as manager, it's his job to keep the peace. Maybe, but I think also so. And maybe actually, what his fault was because he pulled in people that in the beginning really knew nothing about being in a band, or even in the one case, the the one guy. Um, I can't think of his name. The sax player didn't even know how to play his instrument really before he started, and then he started learning the thing. And started learning what he could do with it. And, you know, he decided that this wasn't really for him. He wanted to play and play different. Right. And that was becoming a conflict. But Jimmy's Um, solution to that was shut up and do what you're supposed to do. Right. That's not how you deal with people. <laughs> Jimmy has terrible people skills. He he can get a, a you know, he, he was great at promoting the band, getting them gigs, getting them paying gigs, getting them press, getting them good press. Mm-hmm. That's the band. He didn't do anything for, for the, the people. individuals. Yeah, maybe he, if he had said, okay, tell you what, we'll give you a jazz set in the middle, right. you know, while everyone else is taking a break, we'll let yeah. you come out and play a couple numbers or something. Would have been great with that. Yeah. 
You know, everybody's fighting. Like, he can sit people down. He can sit the lead singer down and just be like, I get it. You're the talented one. You don't have to be a jerk to everybody. Like, mm-hmm. what what can I do to help you feel like you're front and center? Because we want you to be. Because you could see all those parts where it's like, oh, okay, this is the part where, uh, you know, one of the, the women are singing and he's just sitting to the side, bored out of his mind because he has nothing to do. What can we do for you during that part? Right. Doesn't handle any of those problems. And that's why the band falls apart. Okay. That's how I saw it. All right. And Jimmy learns no lessons. No, maybe the, not. The movie ends for him exactly how it began. Yeah, Fake interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fake interview in the mirror. That's how it opens. That's how it closes. Yep. He's learned nothing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he definitely doesn't have much of it. Everyone else in the band uh, has a little bit of an art, but he does not. Yeah, he doesn't and really he's change. he's the main character. Yeah. I think this film, too, one of the things that really draws me to it is the fact that the actors in the film are musicians first. Yes. They are... Except just for like two of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's only two rock actual actor actors, uh, ever, and even they had musical uh, skills. You know, no one was faking it. Right. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I mean, they they the audition process was actually like, uh, yeah, have your band come and play. Hey, we like you. Mm-hmm. You know, how would you like a part in this film? Yeah, <laughs> I think that was awesome. That's a, and that's I think the best way. The only way that this film could be done. I don't think it would have been near as enjoyable for me if it had just been a bunch of actors pretending to play music. Or even if it was actors that they taught a few chords to or something like that. I don't think it would. over. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it would have been the same. And I think if anyone would try to make a film like this today, you'd have people like... I don't biggest know. A-listers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or just the, the up-and-comers that you know, and, oh, look, it's Zoe Zaldana or whatever. Right. And, and they go to sing, and you're like, your voice is completely changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it just it, it wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that they went to the movies about music, so they went to musicians. I love that. Yeah. The part, though, with the music is they played some of those songs a few too many times. <laughs> You get a little tired of Mustang Sally? Mustang Sally played like eight times in this movie. It got like... Mustang Sally! Guess you better slow the Mustang down. That last gig, I started fast forward. I was like, nope, skip, skip. Are they talking? Nope, skip. I don't need to hear the whole song. Can we do like, oh, we're cutting to a different part of the club where somebody's talking while the song's playing in the back? Nope, keep the camera right there. We're going to show the whole freaking thing. I'm like, this movie, we can cut is, 20 minutes off this film. It is funny that you say that. The, uh, the, the soundtrack, the first song in the soundtrack is Mustang, Mustang Sally. Sally. I'm sure and it, it is. is the, it is the one that I'm most likely to just hit skip to the <laughs> get to the rest you of the album. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of moments like, because it, it comes in just under two hours, mm-hmm. and I think this movie could have been an hour and a half. There were several scenes. Yeah, I'd forgotten it was that long. It's a long movie that, like, there are parts that, like, yeah, that was a funny moment. But it didn't. It didn't lead to anything. Like the part where he's doing all the auditions, that was great. And then the auditions are done, and then he's doing his fake interview while he's sitting in the bathtub. But then one more kid comes along, mm-hmm. and he's outside. And so Jimmy sticks his head out the window, and he's just sort of like, "What can you do? I can sing. All right, go ahead and sing. What? Right here? Yeah, 
I can't come in? No. Not even in the hallway? No. All right, well, I'm going to go because I'm not going to sing out here. Okay, bye. And I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I kept waiting for it to be like, that kid's the best singer in the world, and he wouldn't have yeah. given you as many problems as this other guy. So it's definitely two, three minutes you could have cut out. Cut right there. No, nothing happens. That kid skateboards off, and we never see him again. We don't hear about him. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Cut that scene. It was a fine scene, but we don't need it. Gotcha. Did we need to see Joey romancing all of the women in the band? Like, it it just, it, just, it created some fight. It created the tension. It- they could have fought over anything. They could have fought over who had what dress. They could have fought over, like, who gets to have the, the solo. They could have... Did it have to be who's sleeping with the 50-year-old guy? I think that was just... Again, it was just sort of given a, a little bit of a view into music, into music, the band. Yeah. You know, the guy, this guy supposedly, maybe, maybe not, uh, came up playing with the greats. He's been in the in the business for, for decades, supposedly, lived the life, lived the rock and roll lifestyle or whatever. So I think it was supposed to just kind of give a little sure. bit of a snapshot of that. Okay. <laughs> I loved yeah, Jimmy the Lips Fagan there. It was a I, great character. Great character. I think he was one of the few actual actors. actors. Yeah. Um and he may his actual his trumpeting may have been fake. I don't I, I may have spoken Probably. out of that. Spoke. No, I think he was the one actor with like no music background whatsoever. They he, for that part they wanted an actor mm-hmm. and they wanted an unknown. Yeah. And he was very good because I remember reading that like Bob Hoskins was supposed to have that role. Yeah, I did read that. And yeah. they were like, actually, we want somebody who's less recognizable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, that guy blends in everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, his character was God great. sent him. <laughs> yeah, his, his character was absolutely wonderful because yeah, there's that whole thing of like, did he actually live this life? No, look, he's on the back of this album. All you see is his arm. <laughs> right, you see the trumpets in the way. That could be anyone. Look, it says Jim Fagan. That could be anybody. <laughs> and so. But and it all builds up to like, oh yeah, we're gonna get uh, you know somebody to come jam with us. Wilson Pickett, yeah, big name. The guy doesn't show up. Oh, Joey, you must have been full of it. And then it turns out that Wilson Pickett was on his way. Mm-hmm. But the show was over, and the club had emptied. So either way, Joey did not keep his word. Yeah. So like that was supposed to be like the punchline of like he actually did do all of this. Like yes. You've confirmed that he's done all of this, but he still didn't keep his word, and that still ruined the night. <laughs> it's still Joey's fault. Yeah, I mean, this thing is a sort of a comedy, but I think there's a little bit of tragedy, and I think that plays again, like you were saying, you know, there are thousands of bands that don't make it past their first gig, or never get to that first gig, and so there's always that tragic element in mm-hmm. an up-and-coming you know, band or, or, or musicians or singers, you know, life. And so I think you, you have to have that little sort of sense of tragedy, that sort of, oh, they almost made it. You know, yeah. you think that, that maybe that would have been, had Wilson Pickens showed up or had they actually, you know, stayed at the bar for another half an hour and, and, and Pickett show, actually shows up and gives them some sort of, and, and plays with them or whatever, maybe that would have been the moment that would have sealed their fate and they'd be the, the next big hit worldwide tour you know whatever maybe not i mean it's just and i look at it as i'm glad he didn't show up on time because they still would have hated each other (laughs) they would have been touring screaming at each other because i love the part you know absolutely they're at the club and they're on stage they're all smiling they're laughing they're looking at each other they're pointing they're winking they go upstairs instantly fighting throwing Mm -hmm. things at each other wrestling to the ground they go back down for their encore blowing kisses hey everyone we're back like 
it's I, I love that snapshot mm-hmm. of we hate each other, but we'll we'll come together to do our job. And I think that is probably I won't I won't say it's normal, but I'd say that's more probably happens more often than we probably sure. like to think. Yeah. You know, we like to think that the bands we go and see all love each other and are like one big happy family. I bet you there's a lot that go on tour and everything that are like I'm here for the paycheck. I'm doing my job, right. and I don't don't talk to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that was like supposedly like with the Beatles, like they were not getting along. Yeah, those, towards the end, those, sure. Yeah, towards the end, but their manager kept them together. Their manager was <laughs> like, "You go sit over there. You go sit over there, and we'll figure this out." Had Jimmy done that, maybe they would have actually gone through with that record deal and been the next big band. But he didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one told him that like you don't just get gigs you have to corral this yeah, maybe i don't say i mean i'm sorry that no i didn't not like it right i just I, didn't i i i even it sounds like down, you, you appreciate a lot I, of the same I stuff do. that i that i love about it right and i just don't take it to that level of mm-hmm. like i see it and i appreciate it i just don't i wrote down i should love this movie mm-hmm. i just don't and I don't know why the pieces are there. Just yeah. didn't they didn't fit for me. The one thing I did love was the dad, <laughs> Jimmy's dad, Cole is, Meany. There's the other actor in the yes. film. Yeah, he is wonderful, He's brilliant. Cole Meany is one of the most underappreciated actors yes. of of our time. That notch I mean, above a character actor. Yeah, I mean, uh, U.S. audiences might know him best for his roles on Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. That's where most people know him here in the States. I've seen him in a few films. I've watched a lot of the uh, a lot of uh, Irish, you know, the films that mm-hmm. he starred in and whatever. I, he's just brilliant. Yeah, he's fantastic in this film. I love him. I love I love the whole rabbit household. Yeah, the it's, twin sisters. <laughs> the twin sisters that talk in unison, which is creepy as all get out. You know, um, I love the first... Uh, snapshot we see of the house is you see a picture you know you've got the like the little picture of jesus on the wall but above him no, is the a pope it's the pope is it the pope on the wall but above him is a bigger picture of elvis elvis, <laughs> elvis is worshipped in this house uh-huh. but i love yes and the dad is singing and i didn't realize until the dad started singing elvis that his hair is cut like elvis he's got the mutton <laughs> chops and i was like oh wow he's living this obsession <laughs> And yeah, he's just so funny and great. And then he just stops showing up in the movie. Yeah, he, he just shows disappears. Up, he shows up to like their first show, and then he's not in the movie again. I'm yeah, like, why? Yeah, he's the funniest part of this movie. Would have loved to have seen him show up at again. the last gig. He would have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, there's a the part where he's talking to like Joey about like you know, were you at Graceland? Oh right, right, right. Did he do any drugs? I didn't that see was him do anything. I scene. knew it. That was a great scene. I love that. Again, it had nothing to do with the movie. You could have cut it out. That's one where I'm like, oh, hey, I would leave not that. have. Yeah, leave never. That in. Don't touch that scene. <laughs> it's a good brilliant. scene, but it would have helped you get down to that hour. He and a half plays one. that so well. Yeah. I, I, I told wonder, you. like, I, I knew wonder, it. Like, how much was he acting like? Is this guy obsessed with Elvis? Because he's really living it. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder. I'd love to meet Cole Meany. I'd love to catch him on a convention or something like that. Yeah. And everyone else would be sitting there talking about, oh, on Deep Space Nine, on Next Gen Earth. You'll be like, bring an Elvis I album. I am going to autograph this? I need to talk to you about the commitments. 
Would you have him autograph an Elvis album? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Can yeah. you just it's Elvis is great, it's hits. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's exactly what I'd do. A little yeah. sing a duet with him there. Yeah. <laughs> and he he wasn't a bad singer when yeah. he was singing at the beginning. I was like, I've heard worse. Oh, the great line, Elvis isn't soul. Elvis is God. <laughs> <laughs> uh other characters. Um Deco, the lead singer. Yeah. Sixteen years old. Was he really? He was 16 years old when that film, when they filmed it. They looked older, and I guess they just played to that whole Yeah, he was a big kid. He was a big guy and always had that deep, gruff voice and everything. And people were always surprised that he was as young as he was. But yeah, 16. Because the part where, you know, he's first met, he's in a suit. I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I guess he's like a businessman? It's like, no, he's a kid. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of them were young. Well, he's obviously playing older. He's playing older, but the actual oh, he is. Ad, okay. yeah, because yeah. I know some of them were like they're leaving school, like yeah, the ages no, were he's, all over the he's place. He's playing older. He's playing 18, okay. 19 years old because he's working a job. He's working okay. at the the bus depot, washing what whatever he is. I think he's an actual bus uh, uh, attendant. I don't know what you what I don't know what they called him over there. You know, took everyone's money kind of thing or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but he was playing older. But the actual actor, if you want to call him an actor, this is the only acting role he he has he has had andrew strong is his name he's done a lot of stuff in music and stuff and soundtracks and Got stuff since voice. was 16 when they filmed this nice. amazing voice for that young of an age yeah he was really good cliched well yeah absolutely <laughs> you know yeah. jerk lead singer who's kind of ruining the band i love when he got his ass kicked at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i love the one can I get your autograph now? <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, one of the one of the commitmentettes, uh, the the brunette uh, Maria Doyle. Uh, she, I've seen her in a bunch of things. Yeah, she's she's actually uh, done some acting, and she's actually got. Uh, she was actually on loan from another from a recording. Um, she had a recording contract. Yeah. She was a musician, a singer, and she still sings and puts out albums today. Uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, uh, she was in Orphan Black as the mm-hmm. very kick-ass Mrs. S. Uh, so, yeah, she's done some acting and everything, but uh, music has, I think, definitely been kind of her focus. Yeah. But So she was definitely kind of more of the uh, more skilled and honed than maybe that they kind of needed for the rest. Of- <laughs> Everyone probably looked up a little bit to her. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I really enjoyed that whole cast. Um, to me, it was funny because, you know, when Jimmy first meets the the well not meets but he goes to talk to the the two guys that he knows the guitarist mm-hmm. and the bassist who are like just playing the weddings I can, when he's like I want to put a band and I put together and I want it to be you know you two in it and I just kept thinking like all right they got to find like a drummer I didn't realize he was putting together like you know a twelve person band <laughs> yeah. with with you know backup singers and yeah you know, doing the whole thing yeah it reminded me of an episode of Doug the Nickelodeon cartoon because there's an episode of that where Doug's putting together a band and it just kept growing like it got to the point where there were like four drummers in the band <laughs> and I just kept wondering like did Doug did the creed did Jim Jenkins watch the commitments and want to do an episode about it <laughs> possibly yeah just reminded me of that because yeah mm-hmm. as the band kept growing I was like holy crap how is he going to pay these people because when he finally gets the payment of like 200 quid I was like how are they dividing that there's way too many people for anybody to feel like, hey, we got a good amount of money. If you had four people, everyone would have been walking away with something. Yeah, most everything is probably going to get sucked up with uh, in the in the uh, bar costs. Right. Uh, one of those guys, uh, Outspan Foster, was the one. Uh, the guitarist, I think, mm. was his name. Uh, Glenn Hansard. Um, 
which was one of his early roles. He's actually done a couple, some other acting. Again, uh, music has been more his thing. He did a film a few years ago now uh, called Once, which I think is a, a fun film for anyone to want to check out. And there's kind of like sort of fan fiction sort of thing that it's the same guy. Mm. You know, it's the same character because, you know, the commitments, it ends with him busking on the street, you know, just playing for tips and everything. And once that's pretty much where his, you know, <laughs> the other guy left him. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much where he starts off. So, uh, may want, may want to check that film out too. It's another, again, music orientated, sure. you know, um, uh, bittersweet kind of a love story thing, but I fun music worth a worth checking out. If anyone gets a chance, I I'm pretty sure it's shorter than the commitments. Uh, yeah. Everyone else, like I said, what a lot of this was just their, their only role as far as you know, yeah. acting or they did very little. Um, the one, um, the one woman, uh, you just, uh, you'd mentioned the, um, I already forgot her name. Bernie. Bernie. I actually saw her. She just, uh, she's been in a few things. She was actually in Pulp Fiction. Oh, really? Yeah. What was her role in that? Trudy. I don't know if I remember. I haven't seen it in a bit. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, yeah, I just saw her in one uh, film called uh, Grabbers. She was uh, she was in that as well. It was kind of one of these things where I didn't, like, man, she seems familiar. Where have I seen her from? Because she's changed quite a lot. Her, her looks, her appearance. She's, she doesn't have the tall, spiky hair shaved on the sides. She does it's not. A good look, though. She's actually, uh, by the time you see her in Grabbers, she's actually lost quite a lot of weight to the point where it's like, is that, is that? That is, yeah. Thank you, IMDb. Yeah, that's pretty much how I knew. <laughs> I found out who it was. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, good movie. I should love this movie. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just an incredible, just interesting mix of people and cast. And then they, this movie became incredibly popular. It sure. sweeped the BAFTAs. It won award after award at I the can BAFTAs. See why. It was nominated for an Oscar, but for something like editing. I love the editing, those yeah. quick cuts and just some of the shots that they took. Yeah, I, I really did not the win. Editing. It was nominated, but I mean, I, I can agree with at least the nomination. Um, yeah, I, there's so many technical aspects that I loved. It's a very well put together movie. Um, but yeah, it just I didn't get immersed, I guess. I don't okay. know. Interesting. I, I can't put my finger on why it wasn't. It wasn't the whole like feeling of cultural appropriation. It was just some something, some element, something that for me should have tied it together. Wasn't there? Um, but it's definitely an enjoyable watch. Yeah, good. Yeah, no. It, like I said, it's a film I revisit every now and again. Um, I always keep a copy of it so I can watch it when I want. I've got the soundtrack that I can dial up whenever I want. And um, the, they actually toured the commitments. They oh, did they? they toured as the commitments for for many years. Apparently, uh, someone was thinking they may still be out there, but by now it's all whittled down. There's really only like one, maybe two people that are still, and they were like tangentially involved in yeah. the beginning, or maybe That's behind impressive. the scenes musicians kind of thing. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, no, they toured for for a, a while afterwards, and they were uh, That's, doing. A, That's impressive. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 soundtrack is all them you know, uh, singing. And then even, uh, the guy that, uh, played, uh, Jimmy rabbit, you know, actually sings. I mean, he had a band, he auditioned with his band, mm. uh, for the, for some roles. And he actually auditioned for like the, like guitar, someone, you know, someone else. And they were like, 
you're a Jimmy Rabbit. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The, all the bands and all the musicians auditioning, though, was great. Mm-hmm. That was a. Uh, I, 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 I'm starting to realize I love montage auditions. I loved yeah. it in Mystery Men, and I loved it in this. There was another movie where I loved it in, like, yeah. The, the, the door are, slams. And yeah. The, Who are so your influences? Barry Menelow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazed anyone got through the door. Yeah. He, like, let in, like, some of the country singers. He let in, like, the acapella group. I'm like, who were their influences that he didn't slam the door? Yeah, I like the, the acapella group. They're singing along, and he's just looking like, oh, my God. His mom's Mom back is there. singing. <laughs> oh, mom likes it. Out. <laughs> Twins are dancing. Uh, yes. It was fun. He's, like, slumped over. His sister gives him a hug. I'm like, you look like you need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some fantastic, uh, fantastic moments, fantastic scenes. Yeah, I like it as a comedy. I guess... Yeah. I don't know. I'm really struggling with this. I wonder. I should probably like give it some time and then rewatch it. Yeah, maybe this is maybe one that I can. It needs it the ball in your head a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it really does. Like I kept reading different things on it. I'm like, what did I miss? Mm-hmm. What didn't I see? Somebody tell me. I couldn't find anything. All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it nonetheless, even if you can't quite figure out. It's a mystery why. right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I like it. I don't know why I don't like it. I don't know. Well, I think we'll end it there. I want to thank everybody for listening. And, uh, you know, definitely drop us an email. Uh, we will read it, I promise. Eventually. <laughs> we'll, we'll get better with that, I swear. We'll time shift. See, I, 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 I think you guys share the blame because we just don't get enough to make it a regular segment. So, you know, that's what we happens. assume that mailbag is empty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Well, anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Later. So looking back, Jimmy. What do you feel you've learned most from your experience with the commitments? Well, that's a tricky question, Terry. But as I always say, we skipped the light fandango, turned cartwheels across the floor. I was feeling kind of seasick, but the crowd called out for more. That's very profound, Jimmy. What does it mean? I'm fucked if I know, Terry. All you gotta do.